Hey everyone, and welcome to Theana Money, where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. This is Jeremy Collins, the host of Theana Money. This week on the podcast, we will once again be looking at a passage of scripture and seeing what it has to teach us about economics. Last time we did this, we looked at Exodus 16 specifically as it related to the Israelites and their gathering of manna in the wilderness. This time we will be looking at 1 Kings 21 and Naboth's vineyard. Whereas the episode on Exodus 16 related to socialism, this one will relate to property rights, specifically property rights in relationship to the government. So if you want to, then please feel free to go ahead and listen to the episode on Exodus 16 right after you're done listening to this one. It's really easy to remember. It's on Exodus 16 and it's episode number 16. And that was completely on accident. It was like already had the podcast episode recorded, maybe even posted by the time I realized it was chapter 16 and episode 16. So easy to remember. Now it's stuck in your head because I said that. So go listen to it after you're done with this episode. But before we jump into the topic today, I want to ask you all to like or heart this podcast episode and subscribe to the feed so that way you can catch all the other episodes that, Lord willing, will be coming in the future for a long time to come. Also, please share the posts on social media dropping new podcast episodes to help get the message out to more people. And if you are already doing all that, then thank you for helping me with this. Now back to the topic of today's episode. We are looking at the account of Naboth's vineyard in 1 Kings 21. So we are looking at what a passage of scripture says about economics. It is not from the law of God, but it is from the Old Testament. So I guess it's not that far off. In case it has been a bit since you read the passage, I'm going to read the first 19 verses of that chapter. And don't just skip the next minute because it's a longer passage of scripture that I'm reading. The next minute or two is the only perfect part of this week's episode, since scripture is by nature perfect and I am by nature fallible. Not by nature a sinner because God has given me a new heart, my heart of stone removed, my heart of flesh, giving me a heart of flesh, but I am still subject to errors because I am not perfect and all-knowing in the sense that God is. I am still finite while he is infinite. Anyway, not to completely derail myself, let's go ahead and get started on reading this passage of scripture. Exodus 21 verses 1 through 19. Now it came about after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab king of Samaria. Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is close beside my house, and I will give you a better vineyard than it in its place. 
If you like, I will give you the price of it in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid me that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. So Ahab came into his house sullen and vexed because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he, this is referring to Ahab here, and he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and ate no food. But Jezebel his wife came to him and said to him, How is it that your spirit is so sullen and that you are not eating food? So he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you, I will give you a vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezreel his wife said to him, Do you now reign over Israel? Arise, eat bread, and let your heart be joyful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, and sealed them with his seal, and sent letters to the elders and to the nobles who were living with Naboth in his city. Now she wrote in the letter, saying, Proclaim a fast, and seat Naboth at the head of the people, and seat two worthless men before him, and let them testify against him, saying, You cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the men of his city, the elders and the nobles who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them, just as it was written in the letters which she had sent them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth at the head of the table. Then the two worthless men came in and sat before him. And the worthless men testified against him, even against Naboth, before the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent word to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. When Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive, but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise. Go down to meet Ahab the king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dog licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs will lick up your blood even yours. Now, how does this passage relate to private property and the relationship between the government and its citizens' property rights? It relates because Naboth rightfully owned the vineyard that Ahab wanted, that Ahab more than just wanted, that he sinfully coveted and then became sinfully depressed when he couldn't get it. Now, this is not to say that all depression is sinful, but some of it is, such as when you are depressed and go around constantly saying, poor me, woe is me, 
because you didn't get the thing you wanted to the point of sinfully coveting that thing. And now you are just going to pout about it. That is sinful. Naboth was unwilling to sell his land. And we see in verse 3 that it was for an honorable reason. Let's read that verse. It says, But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid me that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. So Naboth was honoring God and keeping the inheritance God had given to his family when the promised land was settled in his family. Naboth was keeping that land in his family because it was the land that God had given to them and they were supposed to pass that land down to their children and then their children to their children, etc. So even if Naboth's reasons for keeping his property and not wanting to sell it were completely selfish, I think he would still have had every reason to not sell his property for the mere reason that he didn't want to sell it. It is his property to do with as he wanted to. But considering that his motivation for keeping the property appears to be more than just the convenience of not having to move, but to honor God by keeping the inheritance of his forefathers within the family, thus honoring not just God, but also his descendants who would have the property in the future. By doing that, Naboth had every reason to refuse to sell his property to Ahab or trade it for other property. Then Ahab's wife Jezebel, a woman so vile that no matter how horrible Ahab was, she was worse. She came up with a plan to get the land for Ahab. She had false witnesses, two of them to satisfy God's requirement of two or three witnesses, which is even worse because she wanted the appearance of obeying God's rules while blatantly disobeying them. She had these false witnesses make up lies about Naboth that would get him executed. They accused Naboth of blasphemy against God and treason against the king. Then once Naboth was dead, she came to Ahab and told him to take possession of the land, and he did. What are some lessons we can draw from this? What does this passage teach us about private property and the relationship between the government and their citizens' property? One is that the government should not be able to force its citizens to sell their property if they do not want to do so, assuming the property is rightfully owned, of course. If the property was acquired by theft, then the government should be the minister of the sword to execute God's judgment as shown in the case laws of the Old Testament and ensure restitution to the between the one stolen from and the one who stole. But assuming the property is rightfully owned, then the government should not be able to force its citizens to give up or sell their property. Some may argue that this only applied to Naboth because it was his God-given inheritance and the same principle doesn't apply outside of Old Testament Israel. But this ignores the fact that all property is given by God, as he is the ultimate owner, and we are just stewards who possess whatever he delegates to us. This also applies to the government. So a ruler or civil magistrate cannot take what does not belong to him. He cannot take what is someone else's property, just as any other citizen can't take what is someone else's property. And this leads us into the next point, which will explain that a bit further. 
A second point is that even Ahab, wicked though he was, recognizes that the government is not allowed to take the property of its citizens without paying them for it. He initially offered Naboth money or a different vineyard in exchange for his own. Naboth didn't see himself as some absolute ruler who could just forcefully take his citizens' property without paying them at least something in return. He even seems to be willing to give Naboth the fair market value, if not better since he offers him a better vineyard, in exchange for Naboth's vineyard. This teaches us that if the government is to purchase goods or services from its citizens, it should pay a fair price for them. If your house and the property it sits on is valued at $250,000 and the government wants to buy your entire block and put a new highway in, the government can't tell you, I'm the government. Therefore, I'm going to take your house and give you nothing in return. Hope you have some savings for a down payment on your next one. The government also can't say, I know your house is valued at $250,000, but we're the government, so... We can offer you whatever we want, and we are willing to give you $100,000. Take it or take it. You have no other option because we are building this freeway one way or another, and your house is in the way. The government also can't get a worthless man of an appraiser, and I say worthless man there to use the same terminology that Jezebel uses for the men who lied about Naboth. The government can't pay off some wicked appraiser who knows your house is worth 250000 and then get him to say that it is actually worth 100000 and therefore the government can claim to be giving you the fair market value of your home and its land when they are in fact giving you less than half of that. I don't know how often the first of those three has happened in American history, at least uh, not with citizens. But I am sure that the second and third have been more common than the first. All of them are evil. Even Ahab, no matter how vile he was, recognized that the government has to offer fair market value to purchase the property of its citizens and that the citizens have the right to say no. On this point, the Reformation Study Bible's note on 21 verse 2 says that in the Canaanite nations of the time, all of the property in the land was considered to be owned by the ruler. Therefore, he could take whatever of his subject's property he wanted to at will because it technically all belonged to the royal family. The note goes on to say that this was not the case in Israel because the land was considered to all ultimately be owned by God and it is stewarded by those to whom God delegates it. This gives us a foundation for why Ahab respected the property rights of the citizens of Israel and offered fair market value for Naboth's vineyard, rather than just claiming it as his own because he is the king. This part here is how this closely relates to the previous point. This also shows us, once again, that property rights have a foundation in Scripture. God owns everything, and he delegates stewardship of property to the beings he created in his image. Some much, some little.
For more on biblical foundations of private property, go listen to episode one, Private Property and Scripture. The last point we're going to cover on how this passage relates to economics and the property rights relationship between the government and the citizens is that the government is under the law of God just as rank-and-file citizens are. The government can't lie or murder. And by the way, false witnesses for a crime of capital punishment are murdering that person, not just lying. They also deserve execution themselves because they deserve what would have happened to the other person, which is what Deuteronomy 19 verses 15 through 21 teaches us. Deuteronomy 19, verses 15 through 21. The person that was a false witness about another person in the court of law deserves to have put upon them the judgment that would have come, come down on the other person had that other person been found guilty. The government also can't steal just because it is the government. As with the previous point, Ahab had to offer fair market value for Naboth's land and respect the fact that he said no because the land ultimately belongs to God, not the king. So the laws against stealing, lying, and murder apply not just to citizens, but also to the civil magistrates. And this passage makes that plain. So that was the last point about economics, but let's add one more point that is not about economics. There are a lot of ways we could go with non-economic applications and implications from this passage, such as how Naboth wanted to honor God with his possessions. But I want to make this point about the effeminacy of Ahab. He was the man. He should have been the leader. He should have been the one leading Jezebel. But he let her play the role of the man and the leader. She acted in his stead, and he just followed her lead. He whined to her about not getting what he wanted. He followed her orders after she murdered a man. Even when Ahab appeared to repent in verse 27, we see no indication that Jezebel followed his lead. He may have tried to lead her to follow him in his repentance, and her lack thereof was purely her fault, but we don't know that. As far as we can tell, he never played the part of the godly man of the house that God has called husbands to be in this passage. So in summary, this passage shows us that the government does not have unlimited power over the property of its people. Property within a nation does not ultimately belong to the ruling family who can take it back at their whim. It belongs to its creator, God. If the government wants the goods or services that one or a group of its citizens produce, it must pay them fair market value, not take it by force or at a greatly reduced price. Even Ahab, wicked though he was, and though he failed at nearly every turn in this passage, he still recognized that. So that was this week's episode of Theonomony. As we go, I want to remind everyone that the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace. More than
Satisfies me. Your love is sweet. Oh, you.